Warning, Star Trek from the holodeck contains adult language and discussions. If you're easily offended, do not continue to listen. Walk it alone! Fire! Holodeck 3 program is reinstated. Open sesame! Commander Klingon vessel. We are energizing transport of him. Now. Here we are. Welcome, everyone, to Star Trek from the Holodeck. We are traveling at a cool warp 9.9. We're very careful. We don't want to turn into salamanders. <laughs> so true. we are not traveling beyond that speed, Dave. I don't care what you want me to do. And if you want to see me strut my salamander ass, I'm not doing it, Dave. So don't try to force me to go any faster. Well, I think it's difficult because, like, there's technically no female among us so it'd be two males Does i don't it, know what that how that would work well, listen evolution you know evolution finds a way. maybe evolution finds a way i hope not i definitely don't want to mate with you david and this is an awkward show now and now i'm going to end it no, no, good night end it. everyone <laughs> all right so i am michael flores your host and captain and this is star trek from the holodeck i want to welcome everyone and this is the prodigy edition i cannot forget that and david hello how are you how's it going everybody Okay, so today we are going to be discussing and breaking down, obviously, Star Trek Prodigy Season 1, Episode 4, titled Dreamcatcher. But before, I want to remind everyone to please go to iTunes and give us a five-star rating and or drop us a review. Both helps. I prefer the rating as it does allow for our show to do more things in the ways of conventions as we need it. And I thank you for it. Okay, David. So are you ready to talk Prodigy? Oh, dude, absolutely. Because like this is Prodigy is actually gearing up. I think we have a winner. We have a winner in a series right here, especially four episodes in and you are going all in. You're ready to say winner, 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 winner. I honestly think that basically it is a winner. Uh, this, this is turning into a winner. And this is the type of feeling that we should get with our other shows. We do. <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> don't, don't. Look, come on. You can, David, we can make new friends and keep the old. Remember that childhood song? Make new friends, <laughs> but keep the, the old. <laughs> you, can, you can do that, Dave. Okay. No, but I do get what you're saying. Prodigy is already hitting into those Star Trek wants and feels and just, it works, Dave. I'm not going to disagree. Oh, dude. When they, I got so giddy when the crew, the crew, the crew of these kids basically getting armed with phasers and tricorders finally the the porg what wait what's his name pog pog pog, pog. i would probably do exactly what he did and, and shoot myself <laughs> oh look what is this <laughs> i know i what was like asshole. cracking up the thing. i'm like going, and you know what it was very believable to me because hey these guys are being given like technology they have no Come idea on, about practice better weapon safety <laughs> Yeah. All right, Dave. So before we jump into the ins and outs of the episode, we must let all of our listeners out there know that Star Trek Prodigy has been renewed for a second season. And this first season has a weird scheduling layout that I have to let everyone know because it's bizarre, but I like it at the same time. So after next episode, November 18th, 
the show goes on winter break and then will return its first season of programming January 6th. And they will broadcast through February 3rd, which will be 10 episodes. But David, that's not the end. Apparently, the first season of Star Trek Prodigy consists of 20 episodes. So we're going to get the first 10 episodes all the way up to February 3rd. Then they're going to go to another break to allow Picard to air, Picard season two. Then sometime later in 2022, after Picard has wrapped, they will return for their final 10 episodes of season one. How does that make you feel, David? 20 episodes. Dude. I have, I'm so excited for this series now, especially since in the very beginning, we didn't have like high, uh, we didn't have high expectations for this. When it was announced, we did not. Yes. But now that we see the scope of everything and also the, the production value behind the series, Prodigy is gearing up to be a really important series to maintain the Star Trek franchise. Mm -hmm. I mean... Essentially, I, me and you have talked about it in the pre-show. It's it's almost like Prodigy is now turned into the safety net for all the other Star Trek series because, like, while you give this animated series a twenty-episode order, <laughs> the other series who at the top end probably get like eight to ten episodes. I think Picard is ten and Discovery's twelve. Yeah. You have you, you give those other series time to basically just say, okay, here's this chunk. We're going to release it during this time, and let's give it a break while while we're waiting. Prodigy's here. Then also we can focus on the next series. Mm -hmm. It is a really viable strategy. I like it because it allows us to have Star Trek essentially year-round. Year-round. Yeah, it's a good strategy. Okay, so Dreamcatcher, written by Lisa Schultz Boyd, directed by Stephen... Ya and Sung Shin, the synapsis, the crew has their first away mission on an undiscovered planet that manifests their deepest desires. Oh, man, that would be seven and nine all over the planet. And guess what? <laughs> I would stay. You would stay. Be like, you want me to stay? I know you're not real, but fuck it. <laughs> Just wrap your tendrils Go around ahead. me. Suck out all my nutrients. <laughs> Take me. Take me. <laughs> yeah. So their deepest desires only to realize the planet has desires of its own. Well, that sounds very sleazy, and I like it. Hey, if okay. you if you had, you know, if you had a seven of nine, you know where my brain would be going. Yeah. So <laughs> like, listen here, planet, I know you're not real, but if you can set up a scenario briefly, seven to nine. Um, and Whoopi Goldberg. That, I would leave the planet <laughs> You would leave the planet. <laughs> like, beat me up now. <laughs> okay, so this episode was fairly straightforward and also a lot of fun. I really dig this whole get in from the ground floor aspect of this show. It's like watching Star Trek for the first time uh, because they are explaining things that many of us have taken for granted for years that we, we, we know what M-class planets are. We know what tricorders are. We know what phasers are. And yet this show is not falling in to the comfort zone. They are acting as if this is the first time people have watched Star Trek. Yeah. And the explanations behind designations, I feel works. I mean, again, remembering this is being viewed through the lens of a newbie Star Trek fan. So we have the aspect of the M planets, the M class planets being explained, uh, tricorders and phasers and how they function. 
And one thing I want to mention, I really like seeing the next gen tech being used on the Protostar, like, you know, like updated versions of tricorders and phasers. Yeah. There are similarities to the TNG era, which there should be. This is very close to that time frame. But just like there would be in reality, there are slight variations as the tech is updated. So we have a slightly different tricorder. We have a slightly different phaser. It's but almost it's still, streamlined. But the architecture or the design is still is still similar. Yes. And like we have to, I give a lot of props into, into the production team behind Prodigy. They understand that they have to keep everything quote, quote, visual continuity. So like if they're going to give us this, this look into tech, they still also say, but our story takes place so many years after another series so we got to make their we got to make their tech tied to our tech and you're absolutely spot on with actually when they did the i know it's a, i know it's a geeky thing to say getting giddy nah, over okay. seeing the it's seeing okay. them being handed tricorders and phasers oh i was giddy but i i honestly got giddy because i saw that they took the time to actually think of the designs of their of a tricorder, what would a new version of a tricorder look like Wait, during you, this time? Period? You mean they didn't just throw out all designs that came before and just said, "Hey, you know what? We know Klingons look like this and phasers look like this. Fuck it, fuck it. Use your imagination." <laughs> you mean they actually cared about the designs that dictate the very time frame that they're in? Exactly. Oh, funny, funny that. <laughs> yeah, we also were given a. Our first, we were given our first captain's log. I figured we would get one eventually, but not so soon. And it does work and makes sense because I, for one, have always liked the the writing gimmick, or I'll call it a writing cheat of the captain's log. It's a built-in writing cheat that allows for exposition without looking overly hackish, and if used correctly. You can really help flesh out ideas, conceptions, emotions, feelings, things that the character is going through. That's why I've always loved the logs because they're easy ways to just make sure we understand uh, how a character feels about something. And that worked in this show's favor with Dal being the one to essentially share his thoughts and his fears, giving us that classic Star Trek a uh, symmetrical shot of our lead character standing in the center of the frame, staring out into the universe in wonderment. I mean, it is Star Trek, even in imagery. Yeah. And yes, it is a typical Star Trek trope to do the captain's log. But I honestly feel, do you realize that even in Discovery, Discovery shied away from doing the captain's log thing a lot. You, we once in a while got a captain's quote unquote narrative log. Well, it's hard to do a log when you're always crying. <laughs> <laughs> but like, Just even joke. I love you, Burnham. Even even with Discovery, yeah, the captain's log dealing with in Prodigy feels honestly like Star Trek. This is this is the proper basic way of opening up a Star Trek episode. You open oh you open up with a captain's log. It's kind of like a fundamental, and it's. For me, it's something that in the very beginning of uh, 
I forgot who actually is running all Star Trek right now. Kurtzman. Sorry, Kurtzman. Mm-hmm. I was about to say Kirkman. I'm like, going, no, that's Walking nope, that's, Dead. <laughs> <laughs> that's Walking Dead. Kurtzman, but Kurt, with Kurtzman, you almost felt in the very beginning of the run that they were trying to veer away from like a lot of the fundamentals of a Star Trek episode. Yeah. Captain's log is one of them. I think the pro- what you're trying you're you're tapping into something very real, and you're right. How can I put this without sounding like a, that's the problem? Like an anti Trek fan of the new <laughs> Trek era because I do love the new Trek era. I, I do. I do too. Uh, so this isn't a negative, but th- there is an argument to be made that I'm going to give two points of views here. There's an argument to be made that classic Star Trek fans don't like change. That's why, you know, people pushed back on D Space Nine. That's why people pushed back on Voyager. Not as hard as they pushed back on the initial seasons of D Space Nine. Uh, but they did push back on Voyager. That's why people push back on Enterprise. There is an argument to be made that Star Trek fans are afraid of change. But it's not just Star Trek fans. It's any anybody that's a part of a fandom that's been around for several decades. There's a lot of passion. There's a lot of ideas from fans that they feel should be included no matter what in a, in a Star Trek show. And they have their own ideas of what Star Trek should be. And to some degree, they are right. And their opinions are legitimate. However, in your attempt as a showrunner, this is the other side. You cannot be derivative. When you're a showrunner, you cannot come back year after year after year with the same type of show. Otherwise, the franchise will die and flounder. Look at Enterprise. Why do you think Enterprise failed? It was too much of the same thing. Exactly. For too many years in a row. Not because Enterprise was, wasn't good, because when you go back and watch it, it's fucking solid. But it ran its course. Star People were Star Trek out. And also Enterprise tried to do some things that were different. That was big mistake number one. They they didn't have an introduction. That was like the classic Star Trek introduction. That also created pushback. So that being said, Dave, I do agree that it's nice to have similar things because that's how we recognize Star Trek by having those inclusions of uh, themes even structure issues when it when it comes to writing or even with introductions and theme songs. So I do understand that that want and that argument, but it's a slippery slope and it's not an easy task. Do I continue to do something that's been done or do I do something different and run the risk of completely getting shit on? Yeah. So, but I feel like Prodigy is a good in-between. I feel like Prodigy, Lower Decks doesn't quite fit into this uh, discussion yeah. Currently, just because it's something entirely entirely different. It's oh, the a, style it's a comedy. is completely different. Yeah. yeah. But with Prodigy, it, it, I think there's always room to stay within a certain parameter without completely rejecting things that came before. Yeah. And it seems like Prodigy is working within those parameters. And we'll see how it plays out. We're only four episodes in and anything can happen. But so far, David, I would agree that it's feeling good. It's feeling really good. It's because feeling like, good, yeah. I mean, like Prodigy in the, uh, in the bunch of episodes that we've gotten right now, it feels like it's the perfect meld between classic te- classic Star Trek, yeah, and 
Kurtzman era Star Trek where it's basically high action, like the cinematic movies, like the 2009 reboot. And it even shares the aesthetics. It shares the aesthetics of that yeah. of that universe. And it's Prodigy has geared itself up to be kind of like the perfect merger between mm-hmm. the two, quote, unquote, sides of Star Trek. Yeah, I agree. Okay, so another thing that we get, we were given our very first away mission, and it was magnificent. It was magnificent, yes, it This was. is where the Prodigy writers proved that they know enough about Star Trek to use a classic setup to explore our characters and learn more about them. It was very... See, with a show like this, when you're dealing with, what, maybe 23, 24 minutes when you take commercials into account because that's what they're doing. They're giving breaks for commercials. That's why we don't have a full 30 minute episode because you got to remember this will be syndicated on Nickelodeon and they have uh, restrictions that they have to abide by for commercial breaks for advertisers. So the show is about what? 23, 24, maybe 25 minutes roughly. Yeah. And they're finding those ways and you have to, it's crucial on a show like this to find very quick ways to convey thoughts and ideas and help your narrative move briskly through your allotted running time. And having this this away mission and this planet that essentially knows everything about you and then uses those things against you, that is a very clever way for us to quickly derive character or meaning out of our characters oh, and yeah. get our first glimpse into things that truly uh, define them or oh, yeah. bother them. You know, the the one character that I think really benefited from that was the character of Gwen. I mean, the whole idea and, of and Dal and Dal. Yeah. But for me, it's more Gwen because we got more insight into her relationship with her father. Mm-hmm. You know, it says a lot that basically the planet viewed her perfection, her, her, her perfect idea, mm-hmm. what she what she desires, and then her coming to the realization, but that's not the reality, and coming to the realize that her father isn't nice, her father is cruel. I think she's already starting to pick up on that. Yeah, yeah. and I thought it was a really cool uh, using that method of this. I guess you could say the species, this alien species, their power to kind of like show, give. Gwen, this kind of like character growth that we continue on trying to win over this character to, to show her that her father, the diviner is not a good man. You should not be helping him. <laughs> yeah. I think she's first officer material, right? That's what she's going to end up becoming. Right. I think so. Yeah. I mean, honestly, she probably should be captain. She's way more competent. However, I will <laughs> she say is. she is pretty competent, but I'll say that Dal actually did show leadership skills in this episode because yes, they, they failed to have teamwork, which I think was the, the, the embedded or implied theme of the episode. Just like last episode, you have to have teamwork. That's what star Trek has always been about. Teamwork is how you get the job done. It isn't the idea that encapsulates all of this utopian uh, future. That is star Trek. The idea of camaraderie teamwork, being united as a a group of planets for one cause and one belief. And that then cycles down to how the different hierarchies work within Starfleet, within the governments, within our starships. 
so when you have characters that reject that and they refuse to work together, look what happens. They are completely at a loss and they almost fail. But I will say I do like what Dal did. Dal's first inclination was not to get to the ship and save himself. What did he do? He immediately looked for his teammates. Yes. In the tricord to rescue them and get them back to the ship. And yeah. And that was a strong a strong statement about the character, which we need to have those elements because a lot of us are going to question why this kid is sitting in the captain's seat. Exactly. Why, why is he a captain when he has zero qualities? <laughs> you know, obviously he's going to be immature. He's a kid. But giving us those those ideas or there's little notes of of compassion. Exactly. That. that is important. Very important for a captain to have. Mm-hmm. And the writers did the same thing with Gwen. Having Gwen stop what she was doing and risk her life and her chance to escape so she can save Morph, Mork, what, what, what's that? Murph. Fucking Murph. Murph. That's another strong statement that says a lot about her character. Oh, yeah. And we do need those little things dropped if we are to believe that Dal's a captain and Gwen is possibly going to be that first officer. And on top of that, just actually showing that they're Federation material. Federation because material, yep. The whole point about Federation isn't just wearing that uniform. Right. It's an ideal. It's basically... It's a lifestyle. I, I don't want to say that basically it's a very... Uh, socialist type of view where basically it's the needs of the many basically over the needs. No, it is socialism community, but community. That's a better way of actually putting it is like those qualities have to be present in those characters that, that we expect that we expect that they're trying to push as Federation material. Yeah. And doll, I think doll actually makes just taps into that, that Federation material to the point that, I'm starting to like like you get used to the idea of him as our captain because when you look at all the captains, what is the one thing that always unifies them? Kirk will sacrifice his life for Bones and Spock any day of the week. Janeway will sacrifice everything for her crew. You look at Cisco. Cisco is willing to do some really nasty things. Why to protect to protect his is essentially his crew on on Deep Space Nine. It's that self-sacrifice, even Picard. Picard's willing to sacrifice himself and, you know, when he becomes Locutus, what is, uh, further on in the episodes, what does he tell Riker? Riker should have actually killed him because he needs to protect what? The crew. So that that idea that Dahl has now that empathic nature of a captain. Yeah, I agree is what sets him apart from say Gwen because Gwen. Yeah, I agree with you skill wise. She's more better <laughs> adept to actually she's take more, command. More competent, yeah. She's more competent, but where she's lacking is the mental, mental fortitude to be a Federation officer, to be a Federation captain. Yeah. Because yeah, she, 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 uh, made the choice to go save Murph but you, but ooh, from what we saw in her, uh, in her dream, I guess you could say with, with her father, we know that she's mentally broken still. She's having the, having that baggage is not going to be good to have if you're expected yeah. to be a leader. She's going to be one of those characters that are a, a bit of a, I want to say an emotional slave to her father. I, I, I feel like her father has 
probably, I don't want to say he's abusive to her, but I'm probably mo- emotionally. I would go there. Maybe psychologically. There, yeah. Even psychologically. if she's not aware of it, I think she is going to start to be aware of it. What she has been through and the conditioning that he's obviously put her through, which it was a big part of this episode as well. That reveal when you find out that, okay, so she used her mental powers, which is a type of organic telepathy to control her weapon and effectively escape from the brig. Yeah. But then she, without even thinking starts operating the ship, which then hit her. And she realized uh, in a bit of a, you know, an epiphany that the lessons her father has given her, it's all been about training her and to prepare her to operate the protostar. And the fact that she was able to reprogram the Janeway program yeah, or the hologram basically says a lot that basically when it has the skills, it's basically, does she have the Federation material? You should see the actress that plays Gwen. She's got the skills too. You know what I mean? <laughs> wink, wink. Yeah, I have to agree. I just don't know how old she is. She's. I already looked. She's 25. Okay. So it's, hey, oh, it's a party. It's, it's party. a party. It's a party time. <laughs> So, so <laughs> that is creepy, dude. That is, I, I, I apologize. That's fucking disgusting. <laughs> no, it's not. Come on. <laughs> we know the truth. Yeah, she's 25. It's all right. Okay, so overall, this episode worked in a multitude of ways. It had the classic Star Trek setup that included a super being or in, in this case, a, a sentient organism intent on consuming the life of the prodigy crew. Yes. I, it is very much a classic Star Trek setup. Oh, come on. And dude. it felt very similar to an episode of the original series that I just got done watching, A Shore Leaf, oh. where I believe, if memory serves me right, it's where Kirk and Spock and the Enterprise crew land on a planet where there are invasive flowers that basically take away your inhibitions yes and brainwash you into essentially being a hippie yes you want to live off the land and never go back to work we saw a smiling spock smiling spock he was getting after it because it was some ex-girlfriend of his that was there so it felt a little bit like that and i'm okay with that because you can have similarities without being a hack and just duplicating or redoing well dude i got i got the vibes of uh star trek final frontier the god that's on planet that basically shows them shows them you know their their deepest uh desires just to get off the planet but did this one didn't want to leave the planet though yeah this one didn't want to leave the planet but it's still if they would have said you know take me to your starship Give me closer. Why does God need a starship? Doll's all like, what does plant life need with a starship? (laughs) I I don't even know. If it wasn't a plant of some type, it looked like a root system, right? Yeah, it was a plant. It was some kind of a plant-like based organism. Well, because it said it was, they said the planet was filled with tons of fauna, but had zero nutrients within the soil, which means that root system fed on all the nutrients and there was nothing left. And that's why it needed those people. Right? Well, not, is not that only, what you got from it? Yes. Not only that, I got vibes of like the spore drive. Oh, yes. Because because it was ca- the, the spores were oh, causing them to hallucinate. That's right. And if you think about it, the mycelial network is very similar to what we saw. 
in, in regards to this. It might not be the type of organism, but it's very similar to it because of like, yeah, I can see that you, we got to actually see that uh, were the, were the hallucinations that they were experiencing, were they real? It seemed like it was real. It looked very real to them. And if you look at like how the mycelial network works, it kind of does the same thing. Yeah. I agree. Okay. So we also learned about hologram Janeway a bit. She, she's not unaware and I'm, I'm glad they are doing this. I wasn't sure how much autonomy she would have. Like, is she going to be considered a real person eventually? Uh, you know, I understand that she's a hologram, but the thing that this show does, Star Trek does uh, in general, is they always like to anthropomorphize. What's the word I'm looking for? <laughs> dude, I can't even say anthropomorphize. I think, I think, Jesus Christ, dude, I really fucked up that word. <laughs> yeah, because they do that a lot. They try to take things and, and give them human qualities. Oh, absolutely. And, um, and I'm okay with them doing that, but also I, I want to be very careful not to make this more the same. So there's ways to make us feel like this is a real person and not just a hologram, at least not like, you know, like an NPC. I hate yeah. when holograms act like NPCs from a video game where they're not quite aware so that when you say computer, show me the exit, they don't even see the exit. Yeah. So how aware is Janeway truly? That's why I, it's going to be interesting of how Kate Mulgrew portrays this Janeway. How because sentient she, is she? Yeah, because if, if, if that's probably a better way of posing the question. Exactly. How sentient is this Janeway program? <laughs> because like, I'm guessing that basically the program, the hologram, the hologram program is based solely on Janeway's personality. It's not Janeway. Right. No, it's Janeway. But it's her personality. Right. So, like, this brings into question kind of, like, a lot of, like, the classic stuff. Like, remember the the one episode that me and you always talked about where Jordy is, like, really creepy because... Creepy Jordy? Yeah, where he he's the dating the hologram. Oh, yeah. And then meets the real thing. And the real thing is nothing like the hologram. <laughs> yeah. That's how I kind of see this happening with Janeway throughout the season is like, I'm hoping that basically they give Kate Mulgrew the chance to play Janeway a different way. Well, I, I think they're going to get there eventually because it does. There were some subtle clues in the way she said things in this episode that hinted at the possibility that she's aware that these kids are not necessarily the crew she was waiting for, nor are they really cadets because if you didn't pick up on that, you should go back and watch. There are some faces she made. She makes, yes. Yeah. I have a feeling that she's aware that they're not who they say they are. Because how would she not know that they're not cadets? Exactly. Yeah. So we'll see what happens with that. I am excited to see how they, how they flesh out hologram Janeway's story. And just imagine me and you, when we first started, we were like going, is Janeway just going to be like this villain? Dude, what if she becomes our Spock, our Data, our Saru, our... Um, I picture it like Saru. Our Seven of Nine, the character that that starts out as, you know, either um, clueless in the ways of humanity or they are start off as artificial life of some type. I should also include the Voyager Doctor as well. And then they slowly over time become something more 
than they were intended to be, or they slowly learn what it means to be human and to be a part of a group and to function uh, within the umbrella of of Federation and human society. Especially since this Janeway program has the ability to learn things differently than the actual Janeway, because remember Janeway herself, she learned because of all the experiences she experienced with her crew. And they, and like most people, like most people we learn through experience. Yeah. But like with this Janeway, we know that this crew is nothing like the Voyager crew. There is no Chakotay. There is no, um, uh, oh my God, I forgot. Harry Kim. Harry Kim. Paris, Bailana, come exactly. on, David. There is no, Don't be a fake fan. Well, I was trying to... <laughs> is it Tuvok? Yeah. Yeah, Tuvok. There is no Tuvok. The most hated Vulcan in Star Trek history. <laughs> but there, but this Janeway has none of those type of characters to learn off of. Instead, this Janeway is going to kind of be like the mother to all these kids. Quit calling her a mother. Okay, stop. <laughs> there's nothing wrong with it, Mike. No, there's Embrace not. it. But what if she doesn't want to be a mother? Quit forcing her into that category. She's a MILF. You got to stop with the patriarchy, David. Quit forcing women into maternal roles. (laughs) (laughs) That's so stupid. (laughs) All right. So the hydrogen system, is that how you say that? The the hydrogen system. Hydrogen. Yes. Okay. So that's a big deal. The the hydrogen system was a place where that nomadic species of hunters roamed and lived they presented quite the problem for the voyager crew from i want to say at least a season and a half and they were predators i said they i say predator but they were actually molded after the predators as well those those that that tv show or those movies yes they had all this elaborate armor and weaponry and they lived to hunt that's what they did they lived to hunt so if we're in the hydrogen system, that's a very dangerous place. So unless the diviner has annihilated them, oh, which is highly doubtful, then uh, we might be running into them. It would make perfect sense. Oh yeah, you're in the Delta Quadrant, and that's why I was like going. I wasn't surprised. I, I was giddy when they actually mentioned what what system they were in because I'm like, okay, I was like, oh shit, they're in the, they're, they're in, they're in the, you know, bad part of the Delta Quadrant. Yeah. And like, I'd be so happy to see those alien species again. I mean, we've already seen a lot of, uh, we've already seen, uh, the Kazon, right? Yep. Yeah. We saw the Kazon. So it's not out of, out of the realm of possibilities to be able to see that alien species again. Yeah. Okay. So last but not least here, we did get some hint as to the origin of, of, of the pog. <laughs> Jackson. It was briefly mentioned and I forgot to throw into the notes until right now. It, there was a mention of a tell you, tell you right sleeper ship, which I guess indicates how he ended up in the Delta quadrant. I mean, there are some theories out there that are not mine. Uh, one website says it's possible the sleeper ship traveled for centuries. Yes. With a launch predating the Federation, which could explain why he doesn't know anything about it. So there well, are some clues there as well. It, it's a possibility and it actually makes that character so much more interesting because you're adding that element of mystery to wanting to know more of that character's background now. 
Yeah, well, all of them, even Dal is more interesting now because, yeah, we had that whole mystery behind his species. Like no one knew what species he was. But then in this episode, we saw that the um, the the root system of that planet, whatever, the sentient organism used his parents against him as yes. if he didn't know them either. That's why their backs were turned. Do you want to know who they are? You know, this is this what you're looking for using that the mystery of who his parents are as a way to ensnare and trap him. So that was also interesting. So there's there's a lot going on in this episode, and I love it. I don't want to regurgitate. So this does bring us to the end of our discussion. But before we end, David, briefly give me your RMD score. Uh, my RMD score for this one, this Prodigy is getting up there and up there with the score. I don't want to go head over heels with it yet. So I came up with an 88 for the uh, for this episode. There's a lot a lot of potential there's a lot of potential that's going on. And I do think the only thing that I would say was a negative for me was leaving the episode on a cliffhanger. Oh, come on. That's not negative. The thing is we're in the middle of just getting to know these characters and to leave it on such a cliffhanger. And then basically, you know, I'm hoping that they continue the trend of actually, Hey, tell us more about these characters. But now at this point we have to push that aside. You know what I mean? Yeah. And especially since you're dealing with a, with a series that they're on a tight timeline, you know, the, the, the episodes, this isn't kind of like a series that can say, Oh, we'll do a 60 minute episode, a 40 minute episode here. No, when you're dealing with an animated show, they're really tight with their time. And I think yeah. that basically they're stuck with like a 40, I want to say 45 minutes. Yeah. So the only reason why I'd probably disagree with you is because yes, it did end with a cliffhanger. But if you look at the episode as, as it's as a completely separate, separate entity as a part one, I would agree with you 100%. If the episode wasn't written with everything that needs to be included into an episode of television, meaning if it was only act one and it had all of the things that made up act one and that was it. Yeah. Then I would say this is a fucked up episode. I don't care if you're continuing it into a part two, you still need to write this episode within your act structure. You have to have, depending on how many structure acts are in these episodes, I think there might be four acts. Yeah. Then I'd have to go back with a, with a, closer eye and and um, break it down and that for that purpose but i think there's about four acts there and if and if they didn't have that in there then i'd say yeah that's a shitty way to write an episode you can't do that you got to give us the entire act structure so we can have those highs those lows and then that finale finish so if that is the case whether or not the story itself was resolved i don't feel matters did the immediate story that started with the first act did the story move the narrative move through that act structure yeah. in a uh, manner that is dictated, dictated by the rules of writing. And that's why I said is kind of like, th- that's only the, my only minor negative to the episode. Otherwise that's fair. The, this episode was very well done. Yeah. 
I just wasn't a big fan of actually leaving it on such a cliffhanger because I'm like going. What if it said to be continued <laughs> with Michelle Barrett's voice? At, at that point, I'd be saying you're you're shooting the gun too soon. <laughs> yeah, you got to wait to the very end. You, you can't. Yeah, you can't do it. Episode three in. Or, you can't do it with three. You can't do it with three episodes, episodes in. Yeah, in. Come you got to do it like at the season finale. People would be like, okay, these guys are way too fucking giddy. <laughs> I'd be about it though. All right, Dave, I'm going to follow you up with an 85%. I do feel like we are in new territory. There's still a lot of room to make some some changes and rework some things. Not rework, to work things in and make sure your story is complete. But overall, these opening four episodes and this one specifically, I think, are strong installments. But as I said, it isn't a perfect episode. There are some things that they can do slightly different. And I feel like once the show gets their feet under them, we're probably going to be dealing with 90 percenters. Yeah. It just it's going to take time to get there. The show is still trying to find itself. Mm -hmm. So you gave it an 88. I gave it 85. That's a show grade of what's 86.5. We'll round up 87 percent. Yeah. All right. This does bring us to the end of our discussion. I want to thank everyone for listening. I do want to remind people we do have a Patreon page. Patreon.com slash Rainman Digital. Pledge to our $3 tier and you will gain access to all of our pre-shows where we talk about all types of Star Trek things uh, before our regular show. And then we have our podcast here for $5 a month and you gain access to all of the behind the scenes stuff as well as all of our regular full holodeck discussions that we do all the time. Comic book reviews, book reviews, topical discussions, things that we just can't get into on the regular show. And listen, we, we need that assistance. So if you do enjoy our show and you like us, please consider pledging or subscribing, I should say, to our Patreon as it does allow us to continue to do these shows. Because without that support, we just can't do the shows. And I know I say this every episode, but I have to because I don't see a lot of subscribers. We have a lot of listeners, but of listeners. Uh, people are not heading over there as much as I would like to see. So please help us out. Consider. Get off the fence. Buy yourself a Christmas present. It's Black Friday coming up, right? Buy yourself a Black Friday special and make sure it's Rainman Digital Patreon. Thank you. Patreon.com slash Rainman Digital. Thank you, David. Thank you. Live long and prosper. I couldn't help but notice your pain. My pain? It runs deep. Share it with me. End simulation.